All right, well, welcome, ladies. We're really excited to get started today. I hope everybody got uh, a water or a snack or something as you came in. It looks like it, so that's good. Um, Leanne and I are here today to present this form, Masterpiece with Purpose. It's a really personal form for us. Um, we are going to ask you to uh, talk with us during this form, so please don't hesitate. Um, we're not going to pass around a mic because we uh, don't want to take up time to have people running through the audience with a mic. So just speak up if you're going to make a comment, and we'll try and repeat uh, most of what is said, okay, so that everybody can hear it and it's part of the recording. So um, show of hands, who has ever been to like a Girl Scouts presentation or a school presentation talking about like girl power or empowerment of girls. Okay, so I see some hands going up already. So feeling good about yourself, increasing your self-esteem. So this is something that you guys have kind of heard about, right? Okay, maybe um, in, in these presentations there's even been some quotes that were shared, something like this. The future is female. She believed she could, so she did. She is a knight polishing her armor, carrying her own sword, fighting her own battles, making her own glory. We are the leaders we've been waiting for. You are perfect exactly the way you are. A girl should be two things, who she wants and what she wants. So some of those you've probably seen online. I know I have, and I'm not as probably tech savvy as most of you. So definitely have seen those. But they feel right on the surface, but I want to hear from you guys when you dig a little bit deeper and take the time to think about it, what really is, is lacking or missing from some of these quotes? This is where I need your feedback. I need you guys to help me out here. So on the surface, what did you guys see? It's all about female empowerment, right? But what's missing? What are these all about? Okay. They're all about like us instead of like So me-centered versus God-centered. I love that. Good. Okay, so you should know how to do it. There was no instructions on how to become any of these things. Good. What does she believe in? That's really important because a lot of these are just about empowerment, right? There's nothing God-focused. Did I see a hand up there? Okay, so doing it through God is, is more important, um, but that's not what these address. So again, on the surface, these seem like, okay, we're going to talk about girl empowerment, but there's nothing here about God. And God is the beginning and the center and the ending of all things. But unfortunately, with, with quotes like this going out on the internet and in these self-empowerment programs and presentations and stuff, there's nothing about God. It's all about feeling better about ourselves instead about finding him. And we were created for his purpose and for his glory. So we sent out a survey via social media a few months ago. I'm hoping that a good chunk of you got it. Uh, our daughters helped us with this, so... Hopefully most of you answered. We got a good response, um, and we just want to thank you for that. Sorry if you did you you missed the the survey, but I think it gave us a good picture of where you guys are coming from. And um, there's a few things that we'd like three things that we'd like to address from from the answers that you gave. Um, one of them was a question about what would make my life better, or my life would be better if, and we broke up the responses between people who had already been baptized and those who have not yet been baptized. And if you can see from the results, uh, having relationships, and that, that included friendships and also having like a boyfriend, uh, was really high on the list, as well as having more things or money to do those things that you want to do, and also appearance. Uh, was a was a really big one. Pursuing God is something that a lot of the uh, Christian survey takers also mentioned, but still, when you look at it, so that's the black line. Uh, having things or item or money and appearance still was a top contender. Comparing that, and another thing that we wanted to talk about was 
if our lifestyle really reflects how we feel about God. Now, if you look at this, uh, a vast majority of you, almost all of you, said that you never think that God doesn't love you and that you never or rarely think that God isn't good. And that's great. We're glad that, that that's how you feel. But we'd like to pose a question as if you're, are you really living that way? We grow up singing, Jesus loves me, God is so good. But have you ever thought, how could God make me the way I am? Is that really, isn't that doubting God's love for you? Or how could he let me have so little when other people have so much? Isn't that doubting God's goodness? The next, uh, the next question was, do you ever think that God's not really enough? Most of you said that you never think that God's not really enough. But is God really enough? Many of you mentioned feeling lonely, feeling that you needed relationships in your life, either a boyfriend or friendships. Is God really enough then? How many of us think that we need God plus? God plus nice clothes, the best phone, um, even a phone, a solid Instagram following, a great guy in my life. And also, we see with our friendships, if we had more friendships or a guy in your, your life, you wouldn't be as lonely. So then is God really enough to you? The last thing we wanted to talk about, um, and this is probably the one that hit home for us the most, um, it's most, most concerning for us. Although most of you stated that you never or rarely believe, um, most of you stated that you never or rarely believe that you're not worth anything. But if you look at this, some of you feel that way, I'm not worth anything. And you, some of you frequently feel that you're not worth anything or always feel that you're not worth anything. That, that's really sad. And that, that concerns us deeply. And it, that includes believers and unbelievers. And even more concerning than that, I think, is the whole results of being prettier would add to your worth. Many of you feel like if you were prettier, that would add to your worth. And we want to talk about these things today. And, we, and it's concerning to us, not because we think that you're shallow or deadbeat losers. It's concerning because we, we understand how that feels, the importance of appearance. But we also, it hurts us to think that our daughters, friends of our daughters, are feeling that being prettier would add to your worth. So like Leanne said, physical attractiveness, there's nothing evil in that. Intelligence, having money, I mean, we need money to survive, right? We need intelligence to get through school. That's not evil in and of itself. But where the problem becomes is where the value that the world places on these things becomes so important to you that you start accepting those wrong beliefs. And the moment you start accepting those wrong beliefs, that's when inferiority sets in. Inferiority feeling worthlessness, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough, God isn't enough for me. So to change the way we think about ourselves, about the way we feel about ourselves, we must change our thinking. So, rhetorical question here, what mirror do you use to see yourself on a daily basis? And I'm not talking about the physical mirror that you look in so that you can make sure your hair looks okay. I'm talking about the standard of God's word. Is that your mirror? Or is the mirror that you use Satan's lies? Because there's a lot of them that he wants you to believe about yourself. A lot. And he wants you to stay there. So we must believe that our worth as a person does not depend on our outward appearance, our social status, our intelligence, how much money is in our bank account or our purse. We must see ourselves as God sees us. And so in this next segment, we're going to have some visual object lessons to help determine what is truth and what is a lie. And I am going to need your help. This is where some feedback is going to come in. Ephesians 2.10 For he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
And in this verse, um, workmanship translates to the word masterpiece. Okay, so in this picture, hopefully everybody can see it. I'm going to walk around with it a little bit. What do you guys see in this picture? Hopefully everybody can see it. It's pretty easy. There's no trick questions here. <laughs> what do you see in this picture? A dirty, old, broken pot. Broken being, okay, yes, completely broken or just a little bit cracked? It is split in half. So it is completely broken. Is it a mess? We can agree it's a mess, right? Okay, this is the lie. This is what Satan wants you to view your life as, an absolute mess. And he doesn't care about you, so he doesn't care if it gets fixed. He's not going to tell you how to fix it. He doesn't want you to fix it because he wants you to be nothing more than miserable, dirty, broken, laying on the floor. He paints a really pretty picture of sin, but he is a fraud, an absolute fraud. He wants you to stay like this. This is not what he wants you to be. He wants you to be, I mean, he wants you to be a mess. He doesn't want you to be fixed in any way. How about in this picture? What do you see here? Somebody molding a pot. So in, in process, right? This is not a finished product, is that right? Anybody else? What do you see in this picture? It's still being crafted or made. How about the hands? What do you see about the hands? Exactly. So it just because the hands are dirty, trying to mold this pot, right, doesn't make it a mess. It just means that it's still in progress. And this is the truth. God is the master creator, and you are his masterpiece in progress. You are his masterpiece in the making. That is a big difference from this one, where Satan wants you to stay like this. This is who you were being created to be. And the amazing thing is, is that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect before you come before God. All he needs is you. And then he is the master artist who will work with you. So in developing this topic, we wanted to explore some young women in the Bible who, um, and well, we wanted to see how their struggles and life experiences speak to this topic. And the Lord really laid on our hearts the whole account of Esther. Um, here we have a great example of a girl who I'm sure had dreams, desires, and insecurities like ours, and how God used her in a very powerful way. And ultimately, that's our desire for all of you, and it's God's desire for you too. So we're going to do, I need help telling this whole story of Esther in a, in a quick nutshell. Um, quick review, when, when does the book of Esther occur? Like, what's happening in the world? It's in the Persian Empire, right. And where, what hap where are the Jews at at this time? Yes. Right, some went back to, back to Israel, right, to rebuild the temple, and that's Ezra and Nehemiah, that whole era there, and some stayed in Persia, right? And how about Esther? What was her family situation? Yes. And why did she live with her uncle Mordecai? Because he was just a nice guy? She was an orphan, right? She had, no, she had no parents. So her cousin or her uncle took her under his wing and took care of her. Now, the king of Persia decides to kick out his queen. Can anybody tell me or remember why he kicked out Queen Vashti out of the kingdom? Yes. She disobeyed him. Does anybody remember what happened? Okay, so she, he ordered her to be shown off to his friends, and she said no. And so that was the end of her. Um, so now the king of Persia kicks her out, and to replace her, her servants come up with the idea to get all the young ladies in the land, give them a year's worth of beauty treatments, 
And then what? Right, so each one then would have their night with the king, and then he would decide whichever one pleased him would be his queen. So in one sense, being a young girl back then sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, who wouldn't want a year's worth of beauty treatments? You get the king's food, you get treated super nicely, no, no expenses spared, and you have the potential of becoming the queen. But can you imagine... When I put myself in Esther's place, all the thoughts that are going through her, her mind. First of all, I get one shot at this. One, one night with the king. I've had no mother to teach me how to deal with men. Um, I'm looking around and I'm seeing this girl and that girl and they are much better looking than me. There's no way I'm going to get picked. And 10 years of beauty treatments, even though the Bible says Esther was fair and beautiful, we all know that we don't think that we're beautiful, even if other people think that we are. And we're thinking 10 years of beauty treatments is never going to make me good enough. But, and this is the important part, she took a deep breath and she decided to become friends with one of the king's servants who knew the king intimately. She asked him, What do I need to do? How do I need to dress? What do I need to take with me for this night with the king? And that was all she needed to do in order to become queen eventually. Now, we might feel like a mess. We might feel ugly, too fat, too tall, too short, too pimply. And that only gets worse when we're looking around us at all of our friends and seeing how put together, beautiful, and perfect they are. You know what? We are a mess. Each one of us is a mess in the making. The important part is that if we're giving ourselves to God, if we're trying to find out what He desires from us, what is most important to Him, He is going to use our mess and make it into a masterpiece. So we want to ask all of you guys now for some practical solutions to how to deal with this stuff. Yeah, it's all fine to talk about it, but what about practical solutions? Um, how do we stop that comparison trap with, with other girls? Give me some ideas. Ruby? Okay, remind ourselves that we're made, we're made in God's image and that we're crafted by Him. Very good. There was another one in the back. It's all hand. Okay, God's not comparing us. He's looking at us and He loves us, right? Right, so stop judging each other, right? Exactly. Judgment-free zone, is that what you said? I like that, judgment-free zone. That's awesome. Going back to the basics, right? It's, it's what's inside that counts. Right. Okay, so... We all deal with insecurities, though, but how do we deal with the perfect lives, and I mean perfect in quotes, that we see on social media? Because we all see it. I've been on Facebook. I see those perfect family pictures, people that look like they have it all together. How do we deal with that? That's right. No one's picture perfect. Good job. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> this was probably the tenth try. Yeah. 
I love that. Key words in there. Being content, giving your struggle over to God. Be honest about it. Tell him, I have an issue with this. I am struggling with this. And then find those genuine friends, right? Judgment-free zone. Love that. <laughs> so you find those friends and you tell them, hey, will you pray for me? Because I'm really struggling with this. Every time I go on social media, I come away feeling pretty inferior because I'm really doing a lot of that comparison stuff. What about having um, people in your life that can that are older than you that can speak truth to your heart. Can you raise your hand if you have somebody in your life? It doesn't have to be your mom, but if somebody older, an older Christian woman who can speak truth to your heart. Okay, so it's a decent number. We, our hope for you is that you'll think about that and seek out somebody that you can respect and trust that's, that's been down this road a little while long, been through this period of teenagehood that's really tough to navigate and and actually it's good to keep those mentors throughout your life Um, I have somebody who's older than me about 10 years older than me and she will often help me get a perspective that I don't don't have right now thanks Temporary pleasures versus genuine treasures. Luke twelve fifteen. And he said unto them, Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth, consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And the word covetousness in this verse means wanting what other people have. Okay, so for this set of pictures, I want you guys to tell me the differences that you see in each of these. It doesn't matter which one you speak to. I just want to see differences. Hear about the differences down here. Okay, so she seems okay. This girl surrounded by purses and... Good, so this group of friends, joy. And then this is, she's content, but what? She has stuff. So this is their contentment is found in each other. Judgment-free zone. Going to refer to that often, I think. (laughs) And her, she's content because she has the latest purses and shoes and everything else. Okay? Anybody else see some major differences? Okay? Good. Okay. So this is realistic versus not so realistic. I saw another hand up here. She's alone, yep. Surrounded by genuine friends, right? Anybody else? One picture um, is focused more on materialistic, like the purses, and the other one deals with relationships. I love that, so very temporary, right? The purses, the shoes, very, very temporary. This, this stays with you. Good friends, they last a lifetime. I don't mind risk. Sure. Right. So this is last week's jazz already because it's a week later, and this just keeps going, right? This is long-term, short-term. I love shoes. I will confess it. I love shoes. Leanne knows that about me. However, last year at camp, my very favorite pair of sandals broke the heel right off the back of it. I limped around till I could get to my room. It was embarrassing. That is temporary. This, though, my relationship with Leanne, my relationship with my daughter, that lasts. The friends that I have in my life that God placed there for a reason, the people that are in my life that I learn from, it lasts. This, not so much. So, continuing on with our story, Esther completes her 12 months of beautification. She does only what the king king desires, what Haggai advises her to do. And then what happens? What's the end result? The king makes her queen, right? She got the prize. That must have felt pretty awesome, I would say. She gets the crown. She gets a holiday to her name. There's a grand feast for her. Life is good. And it even benefited her cousin Mordecai. He got to sit in the king's gate. 
this was, this was a good gig for her. But it didn't last long when Haman came on the scene. And who can tell me what the law was that Haman inspired the king to write? Right, that all the Jews would be killed on a certain day. Um, this kind of changes things, huh? It kind of changes your perspective on life. And I'm sure Esther went from way up here to now she's staring death in the face, not only herself, but her friends and her family. And going back to what we talked about earlier, stuff does feel good, right? Ruby mentioned it's nice to have a nice purse. Those shoes when you first get them, the smell of that leather, if that's what does it for you, a new phone, it feels good. But what does it really do for us? How meaningless is that when our mom gets cancer or dad comes home, because, comes home early because he lost his job or a friend commits suicide? God didn't give Esther a crown just so that she could lavish riches upon herself. There was a plan and a purpose for him allowing her to become a queen. And he has a purpose for all of us, too. We need to be thankful for the blessings, the things that he's given us, but we also need to use it to glorify him. So, bringing again the practical solutions, how can we make sure for us that our friendships like this are genuine? Okay, so then when we're having a bad, what Candace said was when we're having a bad day or things aren't going well, sometimes the immediate thing would be like, let's go shopping. But it's really more valuable to call a friend or do something fun together. Very good. Anybody else? Really good. So making genuine friends, mm -hmm. friends that aren't based on stuff, but are based on your experiences, your relationship with God, struggles that you're having, having a genuine friendship. That's really important. So what, what does it mean to be a genuine friend? We talked about the judgment-free zone. I love that. What else is important in a genuine friendship? I, uh, volleyball for long, guys. Hmm. So what I'm hearing from this one is definitely you have to be a friend in good times and bad. Good times can include going shopping for purses, of course, but like what was mentioned, that is just a small thing. There has to be deeper. There has to be more. There has to be an involvement of prayer and a relationship with God that can encompass your genuine relationship as well. So I have a couple. Did I see a hand, a hand here and another hand? Um, also, I think a lot of girls are really envious. Mm -hmm. So we're genuine friends. Okay, so... I Admitting that that's a struggle, praying about that, absolutely. And then Saying, re rejoicing in their successes and their, their joys, too, and not just being envious of that. That's very good. Right. Up here. So it's a steady, right? You have confidence in that relationship because you can trust them. Does trust involve then taking some of their deepest hurts and passing it along to other people? No, not at all. That's a horrific betrayal. So you being able to listen to somebody else's problems means it stays with you. You pray with them. You listen more than you speak to them, right? You don't always have to understand it, but when they come to you and they say, I'm struggling with this or I have an issue or something, it is important for that to not be gossiped about. Very important. Okay, anybody else? Hands? Okay, let's start up here. Loyalty, good, good. Was there a hand over here? 
somewhere, okay, over here. Okay, so being a good witness and demonstrating your own relationship with Christ. Good. Good. Over here. Right. Right. So this is a, a friendship that goes on. This doesn't just end because something bad happens. Okay, I love that. Good. Good. Anyone else? I'm so glad you guys are bringing this up. I don't even have to refer to my notes. This is perfect. I love that. It is hard to be a genuine friend and have to speak truth, but that is what a good friend does. It actually says that in the Bible. So don't be afraid to be that friend, but you can do it in love instead of judgment. That is a huge difference. Huge difference. Anyone else on this? I love that. God up here, you two, the closer you go to God, the closer you go to each other. That's fantastic. And that's like the picture they give for marriage. It's like the same thing yes. for a friendship. <laughs> but it works for friendship too. <laughs> I mean, it does, it does. <laughs> Right, so availability is also a big deal in genuine friendship. Good. Yeah. Do, you want to, do you want to skip that next one? Well, we did talk about a little bit in the survey results that some of the things that make us feel good is um, some of you responded that it was um, focusing on volunteering, right? Helping others. So in other words, getting the focus off of yourself completely and onto other people. And that also involves being a genuine friend. For sure. Ephesians 5.27 That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In this verse, the he is Christ, and he is referring to the church as his bride. Okay. Describe what you see in this picture. She's all alone. Different from this girl with the purses that's all alone? Definitely, right? Why? Over here. She's in a dark spot, for sure. She looks like she's struggling. She definitely looks like she's struggling. It's not as organized, so it's kind of a mess again. We're back to being a mess, but a little bit different than the messy pot. Right, so she is what? What's the title on this one? She is absolutely hopeless, right? She is projecting nothing because she has nothing. She's in a dark place. She's alone. She looks like she's terrified to me a little bit. So if this is the very picture of hopelessness, this is exactly, again, where Satan wants you to stay. He wants you to continue in your sin. He wants you to be dressed in dirty rags. This is... Hopelessness, feeling trapped, feeling in despair, believing the lie that you are not good enough, that you do not deserve forgiveness, that there is no hope for your future. This is where Satan wants you to be. This is the lie. And in this picture, what do you see in this one? Beautifulness. Okay, so there's a crown. It's shiny. It's light. Anybody else? This is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? If we're calling this segment hopeless versus hopeful, this is the total transformation. Total. This is the truth. 
God is pursuing you because he loves you. You don't have to make yourself worthy, as we already talked about, right? You don't have to make sure that you are in a perfect state. He is the artist. He will create you. This is who you were meant to be. He already places the highest value on you. You are beyond compare to him. So he wants you to be redeemed. He wants to free you from that bondage and transform you into an image of his son so that Christ can present us to God as his glorious church, his bride. So, once Mordecai told Esther about the law that the king had signed, how do you think she felt? Okay, betrayed. He didn't know that she was a Jew. Just keep that in mind. The king did not know she was a Jew. Yes? Okay, blindsided. She all of a sudden realized that the king is not such a nice guy. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Nora. Scared. Sense of despair. Right, she's just a girl in the in the palace, right? Yeah. Okay. And do you think she felt pretty hopeless? Yes. Okay, so she'd already been through the whole scary experience of becoming queen and not sure if she would, and now she's got this new scary experience that she's experiencing. Um, So what did Mordecai tell her that she should do? What was his, what was basically his command or his advice to her? Is that my phone? (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry? Go see the king, right. And why is that such a big deal? Why, I mean, she's the queen, right? No big deal. Okay, I'll go see the king. I'll tell him to change that law. No problem, Helena. Right, the king has to call on you first. And if he doesn't call on you and you approach him, he could have you killed. And this includes, even as queenie, Esther. We all remember those VeggieTales stories, I'm sure. Um, so she, did, she was risking death by approaching him. And did, can anybody remember how long it had been since she'd seen him? Was it like the night before? Or? It was 30 days, so a whole month that she hadn't seen him. Um, so this is the famous part of Esther where Mordecai tells her, for such a time as this, God has placed you in the, in the palace as queen so that you could help save the people. Um, so what does she do before, before the approach to the king? What does she do in spite of her fear or maybe because of her fear? What's her preparation? Right, fast. She asked all her maidens to fast and pray for three days with her, right? And Mordecai also. And that fasting and praying, that preparation period, was a powerful time to give her the strength that she needed to approach the king. And also, we know that God works miracles. He could be softening the king's heart during this time as well because of all the prayers that went up on on her behalf. Sometimes our situations might seem hopeless too. We can't change certain things about ourselves. We, we might have a, a mental or a physical handicap that keeps us from being, from doing the things that our friends are doing or for being what, what we would like to be. Um, we might have a situation where we have to pay for all of our stuff and other friends, their parents pay for everything. We might even have relationship struggles that we didn't choose. Maybe our our parents' marriage isn't the greatest and we feel tension every time we go home. Those are things that we can't change about our, our life. And we might feel hopeless, but 
God is still God. And he has a plan for us, even in that situation. And we have a choice to make, especially if we're not believers. Do we want to sit outside of the palace like this girl, hopeless? Or are we going to accept the invitation to be crowned queen in his, in his kingdom? Um, so, for practicality, how do we go from being hopeless to hopeful? What is the first step? Over here. Pardon me? Get hope. Get help or get hope? Get help, which is actually getting hope, too, right? Yeah. Get help. Okay. And so where do we start with that help? Who do we go to first? Someone that you trust. And do you think, what, what would their advice be? Go ahead, Ruby. Uh, I would go to God first. Okay. Yeah, I think the advice of that person would definitely be to take this step in your life to repent, to surrender your life to God, to want this transformation, to go from hopeless to hopeful. And we can only do that by surrendering our lives. That's the only way it works. And that, that becomes a continual surrender. We don't surrender our lives just once to, to God, right? That's something that once we become Christians, that surrender needs to take place on a daily basis. And once we become Christians, are all, all our problems are going to be fixed. Is life going to be just grand? All of our problems go away? No. So we at least know that even as Christians, we have a king, Jesus, who is in control of all our situations. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, what do you see in this picture? Obviously, this section is entitled Obsession versus Devotion. So talk to me about what you see in this picture. Down here? Sure, so she's kind of focused on her phone. She might be doing that comparison trap that we talked about. It's in the dark, so that means she's giving up sleep and even going into the night on the phone. So she's obsessed, is that what you're saying? Definitely mm -hmm. obsessed, and she's kind of hiding it a little bit, which makes me wonder what she's really looking at, to be honest. Down here? She's discontent. She does look a little frustrated or sad or something, doesn't she? Yeah, that's not a happy face on her. So obviously this section is called obsession versus devotion, and we know that you just don't have to be obsessed with your phone. What else is there in your life that can completely take over as an obsession? So, right? Shoes, purses, you can be obsessed with shopping, having the best, making sure it's name brand, right? That's definitely an obsession over here. Okay, so even friends, if taken to the wrong level, can be a bit of an obsession. Okay, up here. Anything, anything in your life that takes your focus off of God. Do you think sports happens to be in there? Yeah, down here. School. What about that GPA, right? At least that's what we call it here in the States, GPA. That 4.0 becomes a huge identity for some girls. And then what? It becomes an obsession and then the wrong values placed on it, so now we're feeling inferior if we can't get that 4.0. Can't get the scholarship, can't get into the college that we want, whatever, right? So anything that takes our focus off of God is an obsession. This picture, this is the truth, right? 
So that's what Satan wants you to be focused on. This is the truth. It's similar to this one where we have the genuine friendships, right? But this is taking your focus and your devotion to a different level, right? Two girls taking the time in their friendship, which is, I'm sure, genuine, to study the word together. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to think of others with the mind he has given you and then act with a heart of love. This is important. This is what really matters. This is not obsessive because obsessive becomes unhealthy. This is truth. He is going to equip you for his good work. Okay. Esther might not have been super smart or super wise or maybe even understand the political intrigue of what goes on in the world. And her mind must have been spinning when the king sees her and he holds out a scepter. She's allowed to approach him. So what did she ask for when she approaches the king? Come to dinner. Come to my house for dinner. Would you like to do that? And it's, it's almost funny, right? Because it's, it seems like, okay, I'll come to dinner. Here, I offered you half of my kingdom, and you want me to come to your house for dinner. Um, it's amazing to me how God equipped her with just what she needed to get to the next step. So he comes to dinner, and then what happens? She lays out her, her political strategy of what she needs, he needs to do, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm sure she prayed before eating. We don't have all the details of that in the Bible, but I'm sure she did pray for, before eating. Yes. She invited him to dinner again, right? And her, him and Haman. We get through the whole night. She knows that Haman wants to kill the Jews. Get through one night. Get through a second night. It gives the king time to remember, I like this girl. I like what she has to say. I remember why I made her queen after 30 days apart. And she gets just enough from God of what she needs to say in order to really change the destiny of a nation. I really like this part of the story because um, sometimes you think that you need all this talent uh, to be successful. Uh, I need to get the good grades so I can get a scholarship, so I can get into school, so that I can do this and so that, so that, so that. Um, I need to be a CrossFit champ so I can feel awesome about my body and so that I can post it on social media and everybody can see. Um, I need a boyfriend so that I know that I'm somebody worth loving. But God just wants us just how we are. And he's given us the talents that we have, the gifts that we've had, just what we need to be completely devoted to him. And when we're devoted to him, he can do amazing things. So practical solutions. And some of this, well, we kind of touched on it. How can we figure out if we have an unhealthy obsession to something? Okay, so in proportion, right? So way too much time spent on the thing that is our obsession versus other things. Like what? What would be some healthy things to spend time on? Prayer, good. Sure. Reading your Bible, definitely, especially if you're doing that with friends to, to uh, form genuine relationships, right? Anybody else? Anybody else know? Perfect. Perfect. When you have a hard time going without it for long periods of time, and you get a little panicky and shaky when you can't get to uh, whatever it is, your sports, your phone, your grades, your whatever, perfect. Right. 
Where are you? Good. So we're do a heart check. Right? Yeah, uh, heart check. Where your majority of your thoughts are. Good. First thing that you think of when well, you wake up. What's the first thing that you grab when you wake up? Yep. <laughs> That's a big one, too. So back there. Yep. Yep. So skipping, skipping things, maybe skipping out on relationships, skipping out on church service because you got to study, whatever, or go to the gym for CrossFit. Yeah. That's a lot Somebody of it. Somebody over here, I think. Somebody over here raise their hand? No. Okay, so um, how do we use our talents to focus then on God's work rather than just using them to make us feel good about ourselves? I know that's kind of an in-depth question, but how do we make it that priority? So instead of being obsessed with something, yes? Okay, so you can't get away from your job, per se, or going to school, but you could use your talents where you are, good, but without being obsessed about it, right? So you're showing your devotion by using your talents where you are, good. Anyone else? Okay. Right, so it's not about you, it's about uplifting others, and then ultimately, obviously, giving the honor and glory to God, right, okay. Anybody else? Yeah, so we were going to just share briefly um, a little bit of our devotion when we were your age, or even now, um, about how we would show devotion to Jesus. And so one of the things for me is that sometimes sitting down and just opening my Bible, I, I got a little lost on where to study, what to study, how to study. So I ended up going out and buying a binder, and then because I like to make things pretty, I made it pretty. I did... Uh, filled it with all sorts of things. I, I got some scrapbook paper, and I made different sections in it. So one section of my binder actually has all of my favorite verses listed in there. And another section of my binder has a whole bunch of themed verses. So maybe I need to look up something on joy or peace or whatever, friendship, relationships. What does the Bible say about this stuff? And so I was able to use my binder to help me actually study the word. And it became something that I wasn't obsessed over with per se, but it was something that was a tool to help me. Um, and I was able to use that binder then as I mentor younger girls. Um, it was, a, it was a, um, a way for me to study God's word and to be excited about it. Um, something that I started when I was in high school. I was a young Christian when I was in high school. And at the end of the day, um, we had a study hall, which I don't know if they even have that nowadays, but we had a study hall. And it was, this is before the time of cell phones. So when you got to your study hall, you had a choice whether you wanted to sleep or study or uh, just read, I guess, you could read something. And I didn't have quite the courage at that point in time to bring a Bible and have people looking at me reading the Bible. Um, but then one day I just pulled out a piece of paper in my binder and started writing a, basically a prayer to Jesus. And it would start off like, I, I need this, uh, Lord help me with this test, and um, Lord, I'm really afraid about whatever is coming up tomorrow. Please help me. And then as the days progressed um, and my relationship with God through these times that I, I was really focusing my time spending with him, the letters turned to just expressions of love. Lord, I love you. I don't know how I would have gotten through this day without you. Um, you helped me with this situation and that situation. And it got to the point in time where during my day at school, I couldn't wait for study hall. I would be running to study hall, opening up my books so that I could write, write to the Lord and pour out my heart to him. And it really began a love relationship that we have together still to this day. 
And it's really important. I know a lot of, a lot of you are not Christians yet. And I think when we, when we go to school or Sunday school or when we're listening to sermons, we hear from the ministers, you need to read and pray and read and pray. And so we, we have a checklist in our mind. Okay, I read and prayed. I'm doing well in my spiritual life because I read and prayed and read and prayed and read and prayed. But it's not about that per se. Yes, it's a, that is important. Reading is really important. But the missing piece that sometimes we don't always get as young people is that it's a relationship. It's a it's a devotion. It's a love relationship. There is no one who's going to love you in this age, not even your husband, your future husband. No one is going to love you more than Jesus does. So start that relationship today. So Leanne mentioned uh, writing love letters to Jesus, and that was her devotion towards God. But did you know that God has written his own love letter to you? It's right there in your Bible. And it starts like this. You are precious. Psalm 139, 16 through 18. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Can you grasp that? That God thought about you before you were even born? Can you grasp the fact that he knew who he wanted to create? He knew your name, the exact date of your birth. That's how precious you are to God. More precious than anything. And it breaks his heart when you, his precious one, do not believe the value that he has placed on you. Do you know what you're worth in God's sight? You are worth the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins. You are beautiful. Psalm 139, 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God, the master creator, he does not make mistakes. And this verse states that your soul that God put inside you when you were born already knows that. You were created for his image and for his glory. But if your outside is ugly, sorry, if your inside is ugly, then your outside is also going to be ugly. If there is bitterness, rebellion, pride, arrogance, all shows up in the lines of your face. But meekness, genuine love, kindness, that produces a beauty that will not fade. You are cherished. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God desires to cherish you. This goes way beyond the kind of relationship a boyfriend can give you. Some girls, unfortunately, they settle for cheap love. The kind that fills you up temporarily until the boyfriend gets what he wants, and then he discards you for someone else. But God desires an everlasting relationship with you. One that is, goes on and on, does not betray, does not abandon, does not leave you dejected. One that won't end suddenly, doesn't make you into something that you are not. And think about this for a moment. The God of the universe, who breathed and worlds were created, takes the time to sing over you. That is a tremendous way for God to say that he cherishes you. 
You are loved. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There has never been a moment that you have been unloved. Never. Not one single one. You were loved even before you existed. And this kind of love, can you imagine it? It sacrificed everything that he held dear because he desires to be chosen by you. He wants a relationship with you. He is pursuing you because he loves you. You are loved, completely, fully loved. So, having heard straight from God's word how precious you are to him, why do you want to place your worth in temporary things? Money doesn't buy happiness. So choose the genuine joy found in Jesus, found in a relationship with him. And why believe Satan's lies that you're a broken mess? This is not who God wants you to be. Believe, like Esther did, that God created you to be a masterpiece with purpose. And why are you obsessing about your obsession? Use the creative, intelligent, beautiful mind that God gave you to inspire others, comfort others, love others, just like Jesus did. And why in the world do you want to remain hopeless, dressed in rags? This is who you were born to be. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we come before you so very thankful that we have heard straight from your word how precious we are to you, how much you desire to cherish us, how much you are pursuing us because you want a relationship with us. We've been made very aware through the pictures, through the slides, through your words, that Satan is out there like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. He wants us to believe his lies. He wants us to be hopeless. He wants us to be wrapped in dirty rags. But you want to free us from all of that. You desire to give us freedom. We need to pray that we can surrender our lives, that we can repent, that we can become your daughters, princesses in your kingdom. And so... I pray over each and every girl in this room. I pray that you will chase after her heart. I pray that she would be willing to give up what she thinks to be precious in order to understand how precious a relationship is with you. I wish I could pray over them by name, but I don't even have to because you already know their name. You gave it to them at their birth because you loved them before they existed. And so we ask, Father, that their hearts would be open, that they would get rid of their obsessions, that they would get rid of the things that are temporal, that they would understand that their true identity, who they were born to be, is in, found in you, in a relationship with you. We pray for a blessing on the rest of this week, that they would remember, Father, that they were born to be yours, and that they would make the choice, that you would help them be genuine friends that they could find someone to talk to. Father, that they would enjoy this week being together, establishing relationships and digging deeper in the word together, helping each other with their hurts. We ask for your blessing on the remainder of this day, and we thank you so much 
for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a keepsake for all of you um, for God's love letter to you. And so we'd ask that you exit out this door so that you can each pick up one on your way out. Thank you so much for coming, for being great participants.